Well, welcome to Willow Park Church online and our online campus. We're delighted that you're with us, that you're connecting with us. And today I've got a great message of encouragement for you about faithfulness and the power of faithfulness within our lives. About that God is faithful. We have a faithful friendship with him, that he's loyal and that we are on a journey of maturity within our walk with God and that faithfulness will grow and morph within our lives. It's about our talents and being faithful with what God has given us. And I found it very challenging myself to think about faithfulness. But as we begin our service online, let's pray together. And let's ask the Lord to bless. But as we do this, I'm going to pray specifically for British Columbia again. I want to pray for the wildfires, the disruption, the state of emergency, those families who are displaced by evacuation orders. And of course, those sadly who have lost their properties and their homes. A lot of pain out there. Not only that, we continue to see a COVID spike in our province and we know that this is affecting our hospitals and what is taking place and I've been uh, around the hospital for a number of days this last week and have um, witnessed myself you know the effect that uh, this Covid spike has taken and the toll it's taken on our staff and our uh, care professions, our nurses, our doctors, our community ICU units and so on. So there's a lot of pressure going on in pockets of our community with first responders and with those who are working in the health profession. Heavenly Father, as we begin our service together, we want to honour you. I want to thank you for those on our online campus that have joined us. How good it is. And I pray, Lord, that you will be with them. But are we turn our attention at the beginning of this service to, to the needs of our province. We lift up this crisis of wildfires, over 2,000 in our province at the moment. We lift up, Lord, the pressure that families are feeling because they've been evacuated or they're facing Ongoing difficulties, small communities that are living in fear because of the direction that the fire may take. For firefighters, forestry workers, local government, disaster management agencies, we pray God that you will be with each of these uh, agencies and use them and guide them, we ask. We pray that in the middle of the pain and the trauma, there may be found the comfort of Christ, may be at work, Lord, I pray. Father, we pray also for those who are suffering at this time with COVID-19 and the spike in our province and the effects that this has happened on our hospitals, particularly here in Kelowna and the interior. And we pray, Lord, that you will have mercy. We pray, Lord, that we will see this plague and its power broken. We pray, Lord, that you will visit. We ask you to comfort families that have been 
bereaved even in this last week as a result of the, of the virus. So Lord, we look to you in our province and in our city and pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, keep your church strong. Lord Jesus Christ, may people find Christ, but not be driven away from Christ. May faith mean more to them now than it's ever meant to them. And as we look at the signs of the times, may we realise that there is only one hope and one salvation, and that is Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Those are good prayers to pray and keep praying them. Your prayers make a difference in terms of eternity. Prayer is never wasted. Neither is worship. So let's go over now to the main uh, church and let's enjoy a time of worship and music and allow it to minister to our hearts right now. Let's worship together. Good morning, Willow Park Church. Lovely to have you with us today. We're going to worship Jesus together. First song is God of Our Salvation. And it said, God so loved his children, he gave his only son, Jesus, that we might be forgiven and death has been overcome. That's not a good reason to get out of your chair right now and start worshiping Jesus and clapping your hands and dancing around a bit. I don't know what is. So let's go.
what mercies have I beheld in thee, master of wind and violent seas. You beckon me out to waters deep. I'm fearful, Lord, but I'll keep my eyes fixed on you. That's our prayer during the song. We're going to make Jesus our rock and our foundation and be steadfast in him.
we want to fix our eyes on you. We want you to be our vision. We want you to be our best thought by day or by night. Holy Spirit, help us. Lead us into all truth so that we can better fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior.
that's our prayer, that you would be our vision, that you would be the one that we fix our eyes on, that you would be the foundation that we build our lives upon, so that we are always getting all the glory back to you, that anything that we get from how we live and how we reflect you goes back to you, that when people see you in us, they would glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be that way this week, this day, in our families, in our workplaces, in our places of influence, that you would be seen in everything that we do and say, and even in our inner lives, that that would reflect you too. And your Holy Spirit would draw us into a better and closer relationship with you and a better reflection of Jesus every day. For your sake and for your glory. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your service. What a good thing to celebrate the goodness of God through song. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. His love is what reached us through the cross. And if you have a moment or you're not prepared then do go and collect uh, your emblems to prepare for communion and to take a moment. It's so lovely to be able to, to remember the, the rescue mission that God sent to the world to rescue us, to redeem us, to set us free. To give us hope. So take hold of the bread right now. And as you look at it, remind yourself that on the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you that you gave it all for us out of love. And we pray you'll bless the bread to our bodies. We remember your sacrifice and your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you also, Lord, for the cup that was poured out, the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. It is only by the blood of Christ that we receive forgiveness. You paid the price. You were our substitute. You gave your whole life for us. 
And Lord, we honour you. We worship you and we praise you for the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Faithfulness unto the cross. Faithfulness to save us, to redeem us and to rescue us. We are grateful, Lord. Amen. Well, let's find out what's happening around Willow Park Church now. See the Willow News. I have enjoyed watching the theatre camp happening this week and all the noise and the kids singing and lovely time. It's been, been great to just know that this, uh, our lovely church has been full of people. Can I also encourage you to give? The church still needs support. Uh, it's part of our Christian journey to give regularly, generously and sacrificially. And I know that's an act of worship and there are ways that you can click and give online. I also want to mention that we will have baptisms coming up in the first couple of weekends of September. September 12th, I believe. And if you want to get baptised, we would love to baptise you. So let us know. Make contact. Anyway, enough from me. Here's the proper news. God bless. Hello, everyone. My name is Courtney, and this is your Willow Park Church Family News. Next Sunday, our back-to-school giveaways will be happening in Kelowna and Lake Country. Thank you to all of you who have already filled a backpack or made a donation to make these community outreaches possible. If you still have a backpack to return to the church, we will need you to bring it to the office by this Tuesday. Also, it's not too late to volunteer for either of our Lake Country or Kelowna events, and you can sign up to do that on our website at willowparkchurch.com volunteer. We hope you will invite a family you know who may need a little extra help in sending their kids back to school this year for this fun and free event. We love hearing from you, and we hope you will take a few moments to fill out our annual church survey. We are so grateful to all of you who have responded so far, and we will be getting back to those of you who have specifically requested it. The survey is open until the end of August, and you can participate by visiting our website at willowparkchurch.com survey. Pursuit School is a part-time program for anyone wanting to pursue the call God has placed on your life, grow deeper in your faith, and live it out in a practical way. At Pursuit School, we have weekly classes and service opportunities, and there's still time for you to apply for this year's program, which starts in September. Learn more at PursuitSchool.com. That's all for your family news. Thanks, and have a wonderful week. Well, hello again. Uh, I had to write the order of service on my hand, like a fourth grader. Um, we, our family just got back from vacation ourselves late Friday night, early Saturday morning, around 2 a.m. or something like that. And so 
my memory is about that long um, where it needs to be written on my hand. So, uh, but we, our family is excited to be back here in Kelowna. Um, we obviously missed a lot with the apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic scenes that seemed to be happening here uh, the last two weeks with the fires. But our hearts were still here as we were there. And so we went to Saskatchewan uh, to see my wife's family. And so uh, we spent a lot of time praying you know, for everything that was happening here. And so uh, it's, we're glad to be back. We're glad to be here with you. Or I'm glad to be here with you this Sunday. My wife is actually speaking at the Lake Country campus currently as we speak. Actually, she's probably wrapping up right about now. I think she is. She started at, the service starts at 10. Um, my wife can talk a little bit longer. And so <laughs> is this being recorded? Um, <laughs> If not, can we edit it? Can you edit that? Uh, so, but uh, she, yeah, so she's speaking this Sunday at Lake Country, and I'm here with you guys. So for those who don't know me, uh, I haven't been actually speaking in this building, I think it was two years ago, probably. Um, I've, you've seen me online, possibly, um, since I'm famous now, and, uh, or possibly known as the communion guy, as it goes around at the uh, Willow Park Church, because I always seem to be doing communion anytime that was happening. But uh, I am looking after the Lake Country campus. Our family's been here three years. We've got four wonderful kids. Um, we moved from Saskatchewan, and that's our life story in about a one-minute life sp- a one-minute uh, intro. So, anyways. Faithfulness and gentleness is what I've been given by Glenn this Monday, or this Monday. <laughs> This Sunday to speak on, yeah, uh, it is Monday to me, I guess, uh, this Sunday to speak on. I asked him, since I'm doing two, can I do an hour? And he said yes, and so this is Glenn's fault for how long this is about to be. Um, what I'm thinking about faithfulness, you know, I, I was driving here, I was thinking about just faithfulness, people I know who are extremely faithful. Uh, I immediately thought of my dad. Uh, my dad is... Uh, a unique fellow. Uh, I'm American. My dad is the classic redneck American. Um, I don't think he owns a shirt with sleeves on it. Uh, Sunday, yeah, he wears cut-off t-shirts to church. Uh, for my wedding, he actually didn't, obviously didn't own a suit, and so he went to Goodwill to buy a suit, but he actually bought a prom suit, so he had the massive cummerbund, like, right here, and so, (laughs) so, yeah, he, probably the first time he wore a suit his whole life, Um, but my dad is a faithful guy, Uh, he, he sticks with people through thick and thin, it's probably because he came through a tough lifestyle himself and had people stick by him, and so, he is so faithful to people. He's so faithful to whatever he's serving in and whatever he's doing. Um, he is stuck through jobs where it has not been the best, but he just, he just loves uh, his boss, and so he just faithfully serves uh, everybody that came his way. And so he is one of the most faithful guys that I know. Then I was thinking about our church, and a couple of weeks ago I wrote an email to our, our, my church in Lake Country, our campus in Lake Country, and just remembering everything that we have gone through the last year and a half. At our campus, uh, we are in the theater, but we've constantly have had to move spaces through this last uh, year and a half, as we have all had to experience here for the mission and at uh, Rutland. We've had been outside. We have you know, met in groups of 50. At Lake Country, we met in a parking lot at a memorial hall. We met in the courtyard. We met... Uh, we're meeting in a foyer right now, and I was just so thankful for our church, not just our campus, but our church's faithfulness uh, through the midst of this pandemic. 
So thank you for sticking with us uh, as we have navigated such unprecedented times and have had to work through such unordinary experiences just to be able to gather again. You've faithfully watched in your pajamas. Uh, you have come out to groups of 50. You're wearing masks right now. As I wore my mask, I realized this stinks, having to pray through or sing through it. But you continue to come, faithful to the cause, faithful to the body of Christ. And so thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of all this. That's not what I'm here for the sermon-wise. That's just, as I think about pictures of faithfulness, that's what's come to my mind. But all, obviously the ultimate picture is of Christ and of God. So the fruit of faithfulness is trustworthiness and steadfastness. And so the Greek word for this fruit is, oh, do you want me to bring this closer? Can I bring this closer? Yeah, there we go. I'm going to bring it off the stage. Just kidding. Um, so the Greek word for this fruit is pistis. It is translated, among other things, as faith, belief, and trusted. Those who are faithful and dependable, and we can place our trust in them. So faithfulness in the Old Testament is a key theme in the Bible. Some scholars will say that this is actually the biggest theme that we see in the Old Testament. And so as we think about God and as we think about Jesus, this is probably, this is really the main term I think about when I dwell on Christ and dwell on God, what he is about. One of the oldest poems in the Bible describes God as the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, the rock, like the rock, like a picture of a rock. And so I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and highlights the qualities that describe this metaphor. And it says this, ascribed greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And that's found in Deuteronomy. And the Psalms, they celebrate Christ and God's faithfulness all over. It says this in Psalm 25:10: All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. That's in Psalm 33, 4 to 5. And it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalm 36, 5. As believers of Christ, we are to reflect God's faithfulness in all that we do. We are called to look back to the ways that he's been faithful because it helps us grow in our faith and our faithfulness within us and grows faithfulness within us. And so the stories of God's faithfulness in my life, there's so many times where I can remember where he has been faithful. There's this one time where we knew, my wife and I, that we were supposed to work with young adults, that he was calling us into this young adults ministry. And so this is back when we were in Saskatchewan. Uh, we had been youth pastors for a little bit. We clearly felt that he was leading us this way and spoke to us uh, in regards to this. And so we begin to look for ways that we can, you know what, work in that ministry. And so we were, went to this place called Weyburn, Saskatchewan. Does anybody know where that is? Oh, yes, we got some hands. Come on, Saskatchewan represents. And so, um, uh, nobody, <laughs> Saskatchewan's awesome. Come on. And so, uh, but, and they were looking for a young, or they're looking for an associate pastor who would work with young families and young adults within the community. We're like, oh, this is it. So we went down, and we candidated, and it was a great time, and we, they offered us the job, but it came to this point where we just felt like, ah, oh, God, actually, I don't think we're supposed to take this. And so we ended up not taking this job. 
which is odd because it felt like this is exactly what God was calling us to do. And so we're like, oh, why, why did you lead us there? And why did you put this in our hearts? But why don't we feel the call to move to there? And then it was about two or three months later, this Bible school calls, the Bible school that my wife and I used to attend. And they're like, we're looking for an accounts officer. I'm like, accounts officer, that's not what I do anymore. Like I'm looking to just strictly minister to young adults. Um, but then as we thought about it and we, we heard it and we talked with the president we knew this is exactly where he was calling us, to a Bible college, working with young adults. And it didn't look like the typical position that we would look for for an associate pastor who looks after young adults or like their pursuit pastor. But he called me as an accounts officer to this Bible college. And there we met, it was the best place for us to go, where we can minister to young adults, and we did. And it was an awesome time. He was faithful. He spoke the words to us, and he followed through with those words. And for some of us, we need to remember those times when he's spoken to us. And as we read Scripture, and as we look back and we see his faithfulness through Scripture, it helps propel us into what he's calling us to do next. And so he remembers the promises he has for us. And as a journey through life, I know there are things that he's spoken to me still. I know there's still things that are out there that I'm waiting to see the Lord to come through it. Excuse me. And I wait for them to be fulfilled. And I remember his faithfulness and the things that he's fulfilled before. And so the question is, what are you waiting for in life? What are you still waiting for the Lord to, to do in your life? What are you still hoping that he still, um, you know, what comes through within the things that you are waiting for? And so I encourage you, just as we did with communion, just as we look back at the cross, to remember that he's still faithful. He's faithful to you. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful now. And so as we read the Bible, and as I see God, I see a God who is faithful. Can we all see a God who is faithful? Can we raise our hands? Still see active people? Here we go. We're still awake. Um, And there's written proof of his faithfulness through history. Imagine this. Imagine if you can come alongside an Israelite. These Israelites, they wrote songs that would say that they, God was so faithful. And what if you can ask them, excuse me, how, how do you know that you know, God is so faithful? How can you be sure that the Lord, our God, your God is so faithful? I feel like they would sit you down and they would tell you the story, just like a grandpa would sit you down and just tell you stories about life, about the things that they used to do, about how you know, milk cost a nickel, I don't know, like... Um, there's wonderful stories, and they'll take you back, and you feel like you're actually there. I can remember listening to stories of my grandpa and feeling like I was in the streets. And my grandma, she would then show us pictures and slides, and you'd feel like you're right there. And so your Israelite friend might say, he kept his promise to Abraham when he brought us up out of Egypt. Listen to how God put up with us, the Israelites. In all of our grumblings and all of our rebellion in the wilderness, how he gave us food and water and he kept us safe from our enemies. That's how faithful our God has been through all this. Come and let's sing these psalms with me. Come, sit down with me and let's sing. Because the Israelites, they knew their stories and they kept on singing of God's faithfulness simply because God had proved it through long centuries of their history that he can be trusted because he kept the promises that he made. And so even in the midst of the most dire situations, even in the midst of the hardest times, they praised God for his faithfulness. In the Old Testament, there is this verse with these words, great is thy faithfulness. And we know those words. It's a a hymn. 
And this is the first line of that hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. And so the, the, the hymnist, he got this inspiration, obviously, from Scripture. And so the words of that, Great is thy faithfulness, actually comes right in the middle of Lamentations. And that book emerged as the most terrible moment of Israel's Old Testament history. When Israel had, or Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple burnt, and the people sent into exile under God's judgment because of their sin. But even in the most horrendous of circumstances, even in the most, you know, we read Lamentations, and it's literally lamenting. Even in the hardest times, even when they were suffering the consequences of their own unfaithfulness, Israel, they could still affirm God's external faithfulness. And so those words, great is thy faithfulness, they come as this like shaft of life, light piercing through like a cracked door of their life. You see, God was showing his faithfulness in the Old Testament to set up how faithful he is to us in the New Testament by sending his son Jesus. He says, I'm so faithful to you that I'm going to do this. My son will live this perfect, spotless life and it'll be this offering so I can have a relationship with you. And Jesus, he was so faithful to the task, so faithful to that to come accomplish it. He did his Father's will, and he finished the work he was given to do. In spite of all the obstacles, in spite of all the temptation that the humans and the, and the satanic temptations that came, Jesus was so faithful to what he had been given. So at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' life, as he prepared to be obedient unto death, he was obedient to death, he could say this to his father in John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you have gave me to do. Faithful, faithful to what he's been called to do. And so Jesus called for faithfulness among us. He calls for faithfulness among his believers. Following Jesus requires this commitment and perseverance. It means denying yourself. It means taking up his cross. And so we ask this question, how can I grow in faithfulness? Great question. I knew somebody was thinking it, right? Is somebody thinking it? Raise your hand if you were thinking it. Nobody raised their hand. Okay. Let's just uh, continue on. Um, in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, we have this parable. You can turn to your Bibles uh, or open your Bible app on your phone, but don't open up Facebook. Um, you can turn to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. This is the parable of the talents. If you don't have any of those devices or your Bible, uh, it's going to pop up here on the screen. Here it goes. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. 
His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, you, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus, he gives us two examples of people who were faithful and one who was not. The two were faithful, took what their master gave them, and they invested it wisely. The third man either was afraid of his master, and we could see that he was a bit afraid, or was lazy, or maybe he was a bit of both. And it says this in Matthew twenty-five fifteen: To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. So we see some things in this parable. This parable shows us God gives everyone different gifts. We've heard that. We've read it. We've heard that sermon many times. Some people have many talents and are capable of multiple responsibilities. In the parable, the master determined the amount of talents each servant was capable of handling well. So the master was only concerned about how each man used the talents he was given, and the master was only concerned with how faithful you were with what you were given. So Jesus, he's given everybody these talents, these gifts to be used, and to be used well for his kingdom. Listen, our North American church is in a tough spot. I think we can agree with that. History for the North American church was that 200, 100 years ago, church was central. Like we think about, I think about North American cities. I think about Pittsburgh is where I'm from. There is, when the city was built, churches were just one of the things that were built. They knew, and they're built right downtown in the city, massive churches. If we think about maybe building new cities today, do we think that churches will be in the center of our cities that are built today? But 200 years ago, 100 years ago, that's how central it was. And so it was so central that when there was a problem in someone's life, they just went to the church. If there was a question that they had in life, they went to the church. And so what happened when people came to the church is like only certain talents were being used. Those maybe who could preach and teach, they found this easy because people were coming with questions. People were entering these doors with things that were happening in their life and they needed help. But today, people are not coming to the church for answers. Not trying to be rude. I'm just saying, this is what we're facing in society. We have to be honest with where we are. They believe we're outdated. They believe we're out of touch. And so now, more than ever, we need every individual in the church to be faithful with the gifts and the talents that they have been given to reach our community for Christ. Only certain gifts and talents were very prevalent 100, 200 years ago when the church was central. 
I think now more than ever, Christ has given everybody abilities, and all of our abilities look different. And you know what? You might have one or two talents. You might see somebody who has five talents, but that's not the measure of spirituality by how many talents or gifts somebody has. The measure of spirituality is how faithful with what you've been given. And that's why they're called the spiritual gifts. That's why we're going through this. Christ is more concerned with how gentle you are, with how faithful you are, with how kind you are, with how much joy you have. Not what concerned with, like, I have two talents or they, and they have five talents. He's given you a purpose with what you've been given. So if you're wondering, how can I grow in my faithfulness? How can I grow in faithfulness? You just need to ask yourself, am I faithful with the gift I've been given? Am I faithful with what Christ has given to me? Some have the idea that God will give greater rewards to those who have incredible gifts and abilities. This is the wrong assumption. God rewards us according to how we use what we've been given. He's watching our stewardship as we we develop and invest our gifts. God will never say this. He will never say, I wish I'd given you one or two more gifts to help my kingdom. He knows exactly what he's given to you and the purpose that's been given for. He doesn't compare us to anyone else. He will reward us according to how we use what we have. So we don't have the same talents and abilities or gifts as others. However, we do possess the same ability to be faithful with what we have. That's what we've been possessed, each of us, to be faithful with what we have. Because what we want to strive to as believers is to hear that wonderful saying in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So the two servants who invested their talents well received more responsibility. Yet all responsibility was removed from the one who did nothing with his talent. In God's kingdom, responsibility is given to those who can handle it, who is given to those who will be faithful. So will your attitude be humble? Will you work hard with what you have and remain loyal in the process? Because if something needs to be done and no one else will do it, will you be stepping up to the plate and will you swing? If so, God will help you in your effort to do good. You'll be able to look back with this gratefulness that you stepped out in faith. Because this parable shows us one day when we meet him face to face, we will not be judged on our success, our educational achievements, or even all that we may have, been, may have given. We will be judged on how faithful we were to all that God asked us to do. I heard this story. There is this missionary couple that was coming back from Africa to New York. And so on the boat that they were uh, traveling back to New York on, Teddy Roosevelt was on the plane. And he had just gone on one of his magical hunting expeditions. And there's all this hoopla about Teddy Roosevelt being on this boat. And there's going to be all this media in New York to hear about Teddy's, you know, a big hunting trip. And so this missionary couple, they had no pension. They had, their health was broken. And as they were sitting there, they were thinking this. Something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a thing about us? Because they, they see Teddy Roosevelt and all that this hoopla that is happening for Teddy. Here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everyone makes such a fuss over him. But nobody gives two hoots about us, the husband said. The wife said, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. And he said, I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. So they got there to New York. Teddy was greeted with paparazzi, pictures, and everything. They simply just walked off the boat, and they found a flat in New York, which is an apartment. It's my, my English re- reference there. Um, to, uh, 
to, to make life. And he comes out and his wife, and he says this to his wife, he just can't shake it. He feels completely wrong and is now upset with Christ. He's broken. He tell, his wife tells him, you know, maybe go in the bedroom, have some time with Christ, see what happens. And he comes out and his wife knew something happened. And he said this, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said this, but you're not home yet. You see, the reward for our faithfulness is knowing that you have been obedient and understanding that one day God will say this, welcome home, my good and faithful servants. This is the goal of faithfulness. Will you faithfully serve with your one talent, your four talents? Our church needs you. Not, not just Willow Park. Our church needs our faithful servants to act with the abilities that they have been given. As I think about faithfulness, I'm reminded of gentleness. We are a bit hard. Sometimes when we're a bit hard to be around, we might get a bit jaded or frustrated. Jesus simply says this. He says, come to me for I am gentle. We're wrapping up here soon. Now, this word gentle, gentleness, is what we see, what we use in our translations, what we use in our English translation, translations, we use gentle or gentleness. But in the Greek, the word used is preotis. And meekness is actually the closest translation for this Greek word used here. Now, as Paul is writing Galatians, the fruits and the fruits of the spirits in Galatians, he is writing in the world of Greece and Rome, the world in which Paul was writing his letters, gentleness and humility were not highly valued at all. So as the Greeks, they would have heard this, this word meekness, this word gentleness, they would have laughed. It would have been laughable to them. Because humility was generally despised in the popular Greek culture. Humility was not a virtue in their culture at all. It was emphatically not one of the heroic virtues that they, they so promoted. In fact, humility was generally seen as this, as a vice. And so a vice is this actual wicked behavior is what a vice is, right? When we think about our vices, it's not something that we think of highly of. Humility, gentleness, meekness was like a vice to the Greeks. Real men would neither be gentle nor humble, Real men were strong, powerful, and dominant in this time, boasting about our, their superiority. It was not regarded as being in bad taste in the Greek culture. It was the way in the modern society for them. Boasting was a carefully cultivated art form in that time, is what it said. Real men were winners. And real men made sure everybody know, knew about that. So humility? No, 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 no. Humility, that's, that's, that's a vice. That's gross. If you had anything to boast about, even if you didn't have anything to boast about, you just polish up your boasting skills and you boast. Don't be humble. That, that was what's surrounding Paul's culture of that day. I think that resonates with all, all, our culture today. If we think of one of the things our culture lacks, it is this. I think it lacks complete and utter kind gentleness. I was reading an article about the demise of gentleness. Gentleness, sorry. I need a drink of water, obviously. I just dropped that. <laughs> I am so smooth. 
I'm so glad I'm married and uh, <laughs> don't have to try to date again. Anyways, here we go. In, this is an excerpt from the article about gentleness. In 1980s, states started passing laws supporting character education in public schools. In 2006, this guy, he said, I did a study with a colleague of all the recent character qualities listed in these laws. He said, we found 64 different virtues in all. And yet, the virtue of gentleness failed to make this list. So I could not find gentleness in character education policy. For hundreds of years, due to the Christian moral tradition, men and women alike were encouraged to be gentle, as reflected in the use of gentle men, gentle women. Yet today, a search for articles discussing gentleness in the literature on virtue, moral education, or public life is a search of futility. In fact, despite an academic revival of virtue ethics in the last 50 years, a search of the now famous books on character or virtue will reveal no mention of gentleness. Theologian Stanley Harawals published his groundbreaking work, A Community of Character, in the early 1980s, but neither one of them mentioned gentleness. In the 1990s, William Bennett published The Book of Virtues, and the education professor Thomas Lacona published his groundbreaking work, Educating for Character, that would catapult the character education movement into national prominence within K-12 public education. In the decades after the virtue revival in the 1980s, states started passing laws supporting character education in public schools. In 2006, the writer did a study with a colleague of all the recent character qualities listed in these laws, it said, we found 64 different virtues in all, and yet the virtue of gentleness failed to make this list. So I could not find gentleness in character education policy. If one of us trusts the Google machine, the use of the word gentle is at its lowest point in the last 300 years. Microsoft Word even su- suggests that I change gentlemen to men or people. Based on these trends, it appears our society thinks we no longer have a use for gentleness. This, this revival of virtues, of, try, of education policy, of trying to be kind, gentleness wasn't even found in that. And we see that in our culture. Today we have people who are trying to climb the heights of popularity. And it's described as a dog-eat-dog world. That doesn't sound so gentle. Where if you are gentle and meek, you're simply, you're not making it. Then on top of that, we have a culture who will just simply cancel you out if you don't agree with what they agree with doesn't seem so gentle. The response we see from individuals who try to cancel each other out isn't of meekness or gentleness, but it's actually of anger and rage and just deep pain and of this, I don't want you anymore. This fruit is one that is deeply missing from our culture because our culture is a culture of trying to be gods rather than trying to go to God. See, gentleness is this spiritual virtue that tempers or moderates the desire for vengeance when we experience or suffer injustice. According to Protestant theologian Niles Hemmingson, gentleness is the virtue by which minds that have been rashly stirred up toward hatred of someone are restrained by kindness. This is what our world needs. This is what our world's lacking. Gentleness, meekness. It's not a personality type. Both big personalities, quiet personalities, are called to exhibit gentleness. Gentleness is not the stoic lack of ambition. Gentleness is the moderation of emotion. 
not its absence. Gentleness is not a weakness, nor is it timid lack of agency. See, gentleness is a form of strength that enables a distinctive kind of agency that, in the long run, is the most productive kind of agency, for it bears a harvest of righteousness. This is why we're called to be gentle. And we see this through Jesus. His greatest strength was best seen, I think, in his gentleness. See, Jesus did not get aggressive or belligerent when his enemies tried to trick him or even when they falsely accused him. Jesus did not bully or belittle others, and he made time for those from the re- for the rest of the society that did get bullied or belittled. Here's the rest of Matthew eleven twenty-eight to um, twenty-eight, and this is one of the most beloved sayings of Jesus. It says, "This come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." In speaking of his yoke. Jesus was actually contrasting the way of the teachers of the Mosaic law. See, there was this expression, taking upon yourself the yoke of the law. And it meant this, that the faithful Israelite should bend his neck and submit to the law of the Lord, as an ox does to the yoke that the farmer puts on it. And so God gave Israel this law so that if they would obey and submit to the covenant authority, it would be best for them to put on the yoke of the law. The law was given to the people after God had redeemed them as a way of enabling them to live within the sphere of his blessing. So the law was given in the yoke of the law to live within what God has called them to do, to live within the spiritual blessing of redemption. So their society and culture then would be filled with integrity, justice, and compassion if they put on this yoke. So submitting to the yoke of the law was intended to be this positive, this wholesome, and this life-giving thing to do. But by the time of Jesus, the guardians of the Israelite society, the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who studied, taught, and tried to enforce the law, had added so much to the law that the law and the yoke of the law actually became burdensome, and it became too much. Far from freeing them to enjoy, you know what, their relationship with God, it became this this instrument of crushing conformity. It was anything but gentle, the yoke of the law. And those public leaders were anything but humble. So Jesus was insistent. He had not come to abolish it, the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill it. And people needed to see him, people needed to see Jesus as the perfect leader, teacher, and model. So they needed to see him as the true embodiment of what the law really aimed at, a loving, faithful, compassionate, and gentle, and obedient relationship with God. And they could live that way if they could just take up the yoke of Christ and submit themselves to him. So following Jesus means becoming more and more like him. That is characterized by the gentleness and humility of Christ himself. And so that kind of Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, is so different from the harshness and the arrogance that easily poison and pollute the way some people have when their religion becomes self-righteously confrontational. And so Jesus is saying, come and take upon my yoke, the yoke of Christ. You'll find it to be gentle. You'll find me to be gentle, and then you will be gentle with others. 
And we see this beautiful picture of his gentleness on the cross. At the time when he's being mocked, at the time he's being ridiculed, at the time he's being punished, at the time of his highest pain, he was so gentle and kind. Forgive them for they know what not they do. And he was sitting on the cross with two others who don't know him, and he is leading one to the Lord. See, practicing gentleness means when someone falls down in some way, it is more likely that they will be gently restored rather than judged and rejected. That's what being gentle means. When someone falls down in our life, when someone makes a mistake in our life, when someone hurts us, we gently try to help restore what has been broken rather than judge and reject. That's the opposite of what our culture does. That's the beauty of gentleness. Because the reality is we fell as humans, and Jesus, he gently restored us. What we face in our culture today is we face individuals challenge our faith and questioning it and being quite harsh with it. Scripture says this, we must always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But it continues and it says this. I think we forget about this. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always in season, ready to give responses for the hope that we believe in, but we do it with gentleness and respect. And it needs to be asked, is this characteristic of the way Christians engage in evangelistic encounters today? Or we quietly hide behind our Facebook account. And when you think of the way Christians in your culture respond to criticism or challenges or persecution or mockery, would you put gentleness in there, the way we respond? And respect, we put respect in there too? This is the question that I'm simply just asking, not pointing fingers. Is our response gentle? So as we see these two spiritual gifts, or these fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness and gentleness, we see that they are supposed to be cultivated in our lives, recognizing his faithfulness to us and his gentleness to us. And so the question is, will we be faithful and gentle to those around us? Sarah, you're going to come on up. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you Lord, that you are the ultimate picture of faithfulness and gentleness. Lord, that you've called us to be faithful about what we've been given. Lord, that one day when we end up, Lord, at the pearly gates and we see you, you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we see that we are supposed to put on the yoke of you. Lord, and that we do it, Lord, there's a gentleness that comes upon us because you were gentle, Father. Lord, in the midst of our harshest, our most painful reality of Lord being away from you, Jesus, you came in such a gentle way. Lord, we are to respond in gentleness to those around us. And Lord, we know that's hard. We know that's not easy. Lord, in a culture that lashes out, in a culture that's confrontational, Lord, but you simply responded with such gentleness. We're supposed to be ready in season and out of season, Lord, but we respond in gentleness in those seasons. When people ask us about our faith, we respond in gentleness. When they lash out at us, 
about our faith, we respond in gentleness. When someone falls and make a mistake, we do not judge, Lord, that's not our job, but we gently try to restore those who have stumbled and fallen through your grace, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have shown us the picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to put on that yoke. Lord, help us to do it well. together we want to